I was literally scrubbing at it every single day, going to sleep and hoping that I would wake up, that Hashem would make me look whiter or not black at all. Because there's nothing that hurts more, honestly, than your own tribe telling you you don't belong. I'm Scott Kahn, and this is The Orthodox Conundrum. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on JewishCoffeeHouse.com. I'm Scott Kahn. Elisheva Rishon told me a story off the air, which I think demonstrates some of the challenges that she faces daily. She used to have a necklace that had her name, Elisheva, in Hebrew. Some people, when they saw her wearing it, would approach her and ask why she was wearing a necklace with Hebrew on it. Was that really her name? She told me that after two years, she couldn't take it anymore and stopped wearing that necklace. The pain of these questions was simply too great. As a black Jewish woman, Elisheva has been confronted with racism from the time she was a child in Brooklyn. And sadly, it hasn't improved since she moved to Los Angeles. After debating whether she should discuss it publicly or not, she finally gave voice to her pain and frustrations in a well-received article in Nashim magazine last month, entitled Racism Within the Jewish Community. I highly recommend you read it. Racism should be inadmissible no matter whom it's directed against. But when that racism is towards other Jews, the pain is immeasurable. Elisheva Rishon is a Brooklyn-born, modern Orthodox Jew who currently resides in Los Angeles. She is a lover of fashion, makeup, and dance. She has also created the empowerment-based brand, Ellie 7 Designs, to help people heal and learn to love themselves through fashion. I am very grateful to Elisheva for agreeing to be interviewed on this podcast. Elisheva Rishon, thank you so much for joining me today on The Orthodox Conundrum. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast ever. Wow. So I'm glad to introduce you into the wonderful world of podcasting, which is basically what I do all day long. <laughs> In the February 1st edition of Nashim Magazine, you wrote an article entitled Racism Within the Jewish Community. And this article was, for me, very, very powerful, and I know for a lot of other people as well, not only because the topic is so important, but also because you were speaking from personal experience. I'm going to quote something you said. The concept of Ava Israel is deeply embedded in Judaism. Yet, in my experience as a black Jewish woman, it is a concept not always properly embraced. This expresses the essence of the article. So if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to tell our listeners, in short, your story. So first of all, where did you grow up? Okay, so I grew up in the Orthodox Jewish communities of Crown Heights and Flatbush. It wasn't always easy. It was a very difficult experience, and most of my life, I had to go through various stages of identity crisis because I grew up being told that because I was black, I couldn't really be Jewish, and because I was Jewish, I couldn't really be black, and being in the Orthodox world just made it 10 times worse because even though... I have a lot of love for the Orthodox Jewish community. The culture allows racism to exist and to go unquestioned. And if you attempt to question it, then suddenly you're the bad guy, you're the one who's breaking the rules, and there's something wrong with you. And most of my life, I spent my life, you know, believing something is wrong with me. I do want to hear your story, but I first have to ask you what you mean by the culture in orthodoxy allows it to exist. 
Okay, so once again, even though I have mad love for the Orthodox Jewish community, the culture is a culture of sameness, of everyone being the same, of secrecy, of people are supposed to follow these rules, but the rules don't adapt to the current day and age. Like, even though I was discussing racism because it's a big problem in the, in the community, in the culture, we also have issues where we don't talk about domestic violence, mm-hmm. where we don't talk about drug use, even though right now the Orthodox Jewish community is going through a serious drug crisis. We don't talk about sexual assault. We don't talk about finding actual proper mental health solutions. We have this culture of sweeping things under the rug, and if you question it, something's wrong with you. So racism is a part of that culture, and it is widely used, accepted, embraced, and if you question it, something is wrong with you. This podcast, for those who listen to it, know that that's exactly what we're trying to bring out from being swept under the rug, trying to talk about the issues that are too often ignored or people pretend they don't exist. So I'm glad we're able to at least begin to address this issue of racism inside orthodoxy. So you grew up in Brooklyn in Crown Heights and Flatbush, right? Yeah. And when Brooklyn did you born and raised? <laughs> and when did you first come face to face with Jewish racism towards you? Um I'm pretty sure I was dealing with Jewish racism when I was younger, like maybe 5 or 6, but I wasn't um comprehending it or processing it properly, but the time when I remember it happening, like a very stark memory, was when I was like eight or nine years old. And it was the moment that I learned that I was black. Because I want to be clear about something, because people, especially like people in LA, people in New York, walk up to me whenever they hear me talk about rights to them. They're like, why are you so obsessed with talking about being black and Jewish? Why don't you just call yourself Jewish? I want people to understand something about me. 99.9% of the time, I don't remember I'm black. In my mind, I just think I'm Jewish because that's just how I am. That's just my setting. And I only remember I'm black when I'm in a negative situation that is me going to something negative based on me being black. Like, let's say I go to a singles event and I'm like, oh, why is everybody looking at me weird? You know, I'm like, is my dress okay? Yeah, it's fine. You know, is my makeup good? Yeah, it's fine. I look modest and everything's fine. And then people start walking up to me saying, are you lost? Why are you here? You know, and then I'm like, why are they? Oh, right. I'm black. And then suddenly I remember I'm black. So I remember the first memory where I was introduced to the concept of blackness, because when I was a child and even like I said before, even until my adult time, I still don't really think about it until I'm confronted with racism. Right. I didn't have that concept until I was like eight or nine years old when I was trying to play with these girls because I wanted to play with these girls, you know, because they always go out to the courtyard to go play. And (laughs) it's difficult to recount the story because I wrote it down. But when I wrote it down, it was the most, this is honestly the most painful article for me to write. There were many tears. I, almost didn't submit it three times. I kept pushing it off because it's it's painful to go into those boxes that I place in the back of my mind to open them up because I have so many of those boxes because in order to grow up in the Orthodox Jewish community as someone who's black and to not go OTD fully or to not hate the entire community, you have to take these 
events and put them in a box and put them in the back of your mind. And for that article, I opened up some of these boxes that I've kept shut for years. And it was overwhelming because it's overwhelming. It's a very overwhelming experience. And it's something uh, I, I, I don't know if I can recount the whole um, situation, but I would try to say it as plainly as I can okay. because it's just painful to go step by step about what happened. But I still have this issue to this very day. These girls were saying that I couldn't play, which is stupid when I think about it as an adult, because they were playing outside in the courtyard and it was dirty. They were like leaves on the ground. But they were saying that I couldn't play with them because if I touched the ball, I would get the ball dirty. And I was looking at my hands because I was a messy kid. Sometimes I would eat food and not wash my hands and my hands would be sticky or dirty. So I was like, ah, I went to the bathroom, I, I washed my hands, and I showed them, no, my hands are not dirty. And they were laughing at me, and then they were like, <laughs> the, the, like, the dirt's all over you, you know, and you were black and dirty. And I was like, showing them my hands, and showing them my hands, and I didn't get it. And I'm like, how's the dirt all over me? And I didn't understand, and they ran away, whatever, and I went back into the shul, Davin, whatever it was, and when I got home, I remember uh, after my family had the meal, whatever, we had this mirror in the room, a big, tall mirror. And I was staring in the mirror for the longest time while my siblings were playing outside um, in the house. And I was staring in it for hours until I saw that I was black. And then that's the painful moment when I realized what was happening. There are some people who are saying, oh, where were your parents or where were this, where was that? You know, parents can say only but so much. But both my parents, they didn't grow up in the Orthodox Jewish community. So they can tell you things as much as they want. But when you experience it for the first time as a kid in the community, there's no real way for you to understand what it means until it actually happens. So that's when I understood. And that was the worst thing. And then I started to hate myself. I also, I grew up with a, um, a very bad skin disease. I don't know how you pronounce it, eczema or eczema. Mm -hmm. So my skin was very dry. It would crack, it would bleed. It was very, very bad. And I had it for like a, a large part of my childhood. But the thing is that when I discovered that I was black and that black was being dirty and that black was being bad and nobody liked anyone that was black, I would scrub at my skin. And I didn't mention it in the article because I felt it was too graphic. But the thing is that me scrubbing at my skin meant that I would be bleeding over my bandages and I would do it all the time. And I don't even think I had never even told my parents this. Like they just thought that my skin was just cracking because I had really bad skin because of the disease. But I was literally scrubbing at it every single day, going to sleep and hoping that I would wake up, that Hashem would make me look whiter or not black at all. And I also had a younger sister who they would prefer to play with when all the other kids would go away to upstate, you know, to the Catskills, whatever. Right. And she was a couple of shades lighter than me. So I would hope that either I would wake up and not be black or I would be as light as she is because lighter is better. You mentioned that and, in the article too, that that's an example of colorism where even within yes. the black community, different shades of black mean different things to different people. Yes, uh, colorism. It's something that I want to say is across the world because you see it in India, Korea, you, people are bleaching their skin and everything. But in the American context, colorism goes way back to the old days, like in slavery times. 
the house slave would be the one with the lighter skin and the dark skin slave would be the one in the field. So lighter skin was always elevated in front of black people to show them that lighter is better. You get lighter, you get, you know, you get more privileges. And even in today, like it, this is not a Jewish subject, but if you look at the top pop artists and actresses that are black in the world, they're always lighter. There's Rihanna, there's Beyonce, like these people, they're always lighter. But then Kelly Rowland, who is just as good as Beyonce, doesn't get as many deals, as much coverage because she's way, way darker. Lighter skin in the black community, in the world, especially when it comes to black people, it's always been seen as better. But I didn't know this concept because I was just this black kid living in the Orthodox community. Like, I was introduced to these concepts not by black people, but by my own Jewish people. So it's... 10 times worse because there's nothing that hurts more honestly than your own tribe telling you you don't belong that's a special kind of pain (laughs) i can't say i can only imagine because i can't imagine but that sounds truly awful i want to ask you because you mentioned in the article how in addition to overt racism perhaps even more insidious were microaggressions that consisted of subtle racism if you don't mind can you tell me some examples (laughs) of what what you mean by that Okay, before I start with that, I got a lot of flack from other uh, black people who are like, that's not microaggressions, that's straight up racism. Okay. And that's... <laughs> well, I'm using your term, so... <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. Like, I use my terms, and when I was getting this feedback of people saying, that's just straight up racism, why are you calling it, you know, microaggressions? I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I stepped back for a second, and I'm like, I realized, because technically in the scope of American history and American racism, it is straight up racism. But because I'm in the Orthodox Jewish community and because I deal with it on a daily basis, in my mind, I classified it as microaggressions because that's what microaggressions are. It's something that you go to you like daily and it's like kind of subtle, but you go through it daily because to me, straight up racism is someone calling me black and dirty or someone saying Kushi Schwarza or, or the N-word. Like, to me, that's straight-up racism. It's it's just crazy how growing up in an Orthodox world has framed my views of how racist something is. So uh-huh. I just want to clarify that because I know I got a lot of flack for it, and I didn't think about it until afterwards because it's something that you deal with daily. You know, like, I go to show people stare at me all the time. I go on a date with someone, and they're like, well, you have to be a slut because you're black. You know, like, I... Wait, people, I people have said that, that to you? Oh, yes. Yes. In various different ways. I have gotten that a lot. And I just accepted it because I knew that that's what people will say no matter what. Like, even recently, I was friends with this friends group and this guy didn't even know me. And he was sitting around with these mutual friends and they were like, I don't know, whatever. They were like just chilling. And I found out from some people that were there that they were like, oh, Elisheva is down and dirty. And then she was like, why? Well, you know, because she's black. I was The guy didn't even know me, but that's just that's just how it is in the community. So for me, yes, it's a microaggression. Um, other examples... I mean, that's not really subtle, Elisheva. That's pretty overt. I, yes, but because I hear it all the time and because I deal with it all the time, for me, it's a microaggression. Hmm. I don't know how... Uh, it's, it's definitely the wrong word to use in comparison to everything else, but it's the best way I can describe it because it's a daily experience or going into a Jewish store. I either, if I'm going with my friends or if I'm going by myself, I'm always followed 
by the people that work there and usually by the owners because let me tell you something when i go into a jewish store and there are non-jewish workers out of there you know hispanic black whatever they could take one look at me and see i'm not a threat because like in real life the way that i always look i look like some girl that likes to wear pretty clothes and makeup like they can immediately see i'm not a thief i am not a criminal i'm not a bad person but the Jewish owners or their Jewish employees only see me as a black person who is bad. So they will follow me through every aisle. They will watch me the whole time. And the actual employees that are there that are not Jewish would never do that to me. But that happens. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter if I'm in Borough Park or Flatbush or Pico Robertson. You know, um, I get followed by the Jewish owners or their Jewish employees because they don't see anything but me being black. And I have to say that's a special kind of microaggression because it wears on you because I'm like, I'm here, I'm listening to my music, I'm trying to buy my food, I can only get it here because I need kosher meat, and they're following me in every single aisle. Now, if I turn around and I scream at them, you know, I'm going to look like a crazy black woman, you know, the crazy angry black woman. So I can't react I have to stomach the treatment all the way through the store to the cash register till I walk outside. Do you say and something? I, I rarely ever do, but when I do, I am seen as a crazy black woman. And as you said, so, it's got to be even worse because this is your own tribe that's treating you yeah. in this way. Elisheva, you also describe an additional layer of hurt when people, perhaps even meaning well, offer different responses to the way that you're being treated. They'll say things like, I don't believe you, or they'll say, being black is your job or your tikkun in life. They'll say, don't yeah. publicize it because if you talk about it, it's a chil Hashem. Or they'll say, it's your own fault because you're being so negative. Do you hear these responses often? Because that's almost yes. shocking that people would be so insensitive to speak to you like that. Obviously, they're trying to help you, so to speak, but they really say things like that to you often? Yes, Often, 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 all the time, like to the point that I classified my friends in friends groups. Okay, like let me, like I've ditched a lot of people over the years, but I had a friend group of people I can talk to racism about sometimes, people I could talk to racism about never, and people who may or may not do something or say something if something racist happened to me. Now, the last group that I mentioned, do you know how many people are in that friend group? I don't know. Tell me. Two. Two people. And everyone that knows me knows I know hundreds of people. And yet there but are only two those, people There are only two people that are in that, cl that special group that you can really discuss it with. I can discuss it with that may or may not do something if they see something. Then, Elisheva, let me ask you on the other side. Has there been any improvement over the years? You describe how painful it was as a child and obviously how it continues to be a painful experience as an adult. Have you seen any improvement from the time you were a little kid? Um, no. See, that's another thing, too. A lot of people were saying, oh, I feel sorry for that poor girl. I feel sorry for her, too. But what people don't realize is that it never stopped. Like, what happened to me as a child didn't just stay frozen in time with me as a child as i got older things got more complex mm -hmm. like when i was discussing the microaggressions so to say things are getting more and more complex and things no have never gotten better it's exactly the same everything i wrote in the article some of those things happened to me last week some of those things happened to me the week before like it never stops and never ends 
And honestly, there was a point where I just wanted to be, because I have a lot of black Jewish friends I grew up with in the Orthodox world. And what happened to a lot of us because of what we go through, a lot of us go OTD because the OTD community slash social group, squad, whatever, they are more likely to accept us because they're already outside of the boundaries of the community. They come from the same world that we come from, but they will embrace us because they're already not embraced because, you know, they're poor, they're gay, you know, they're into drugs, music, whatever it is. Like they, they are already outside of the parameters of the Orthodox Jewish community acceptable guidelines. So they will see us and accept us more. So we easily gravitate towards the OTD world because that's where we get more love. And there was a time where I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to be OTD and just like not even. And I was by a friend for Shabbat and we were having a meal, something like that. And her kids were there and she uh, was talking about these incidents that happened with her kids. And she's um, she was a convert and she married an Ashkenazi guy. And she was talking about how this yeshiva did a paperback test on her children. And they said the lighter daughter would get into the yeshiva. Wait, what do you mean a paperback test? The paperback test. Uh, okay, so it's an American practice that goes back to, I would say, Jim Crow times. It was the concept that if you are the same shade as the paperback or lighter, you are good. It was used by white people and also later by black people, like getting into certain sororities and the black universities way, way back in the day. If you were the shade of the paper bag or, or lighter, you would get in. If you were darker, you would not. And also in general, like mentioning colorism again, in the rest of the American world, the lighter that you are, the more acceptable that you are. And they literally use this paperback test on your friend's daughter. They used it. They said that the lighter daughter is going to get into the yeshiva. And I was like, what? And, of course, you can imagine what that's, that's doing to the daughter and her relationship with her sister. Because I knew, from like, her mother didn't know because she, like, she might understand what's going on, like, when it comes to racism in the community because she's black. But me, being a child, going through that, I knew what was happening in her daughter's head and she didn't even know yet. And I didn't say anything at that time because I knew already that her sister was hating her other sister because I know what that does to us. And there was another time where she was mentioning that she was friends with this woman and her daughter went there for a play date and the husband came chasing the daughter out saying he didn't want any Schwartzes in the home. And she was shocked because the wife was so nice, but the husband was, you know, not nice. And I'm just like listening to this and I'm just like, Wow. So basically, what I went through as a child, two generations later, is still happening. And that was just the moment when I decided to start talking again. Instead of just being selfish and just living my own life and doing what I want to do, I'm like, I have to talk because so many of my black Jewish friends that grew up Orthodox already left. They left. They That's what I was going to ask you, Elisheva, because you said it was so hard to write the article and you had so many times that you doubted whether or not you'd actually publish it. Was that actually the moment when you decided that I can't hide this anymore? I have to come out and tell everybody what's really happening? Uh, no, because this has been a gradual process. Like when I was talking with my friend, it was a couple of years back. And that was when I wrote one of my first articles about how I use fashion 
to cope with racism in the Orthodox Jewish community, how I use it as like a conduit or a medium to express myself and to take attention off of my blackness so that people would just stop focusing on it. So it's been a gradual process, like here and there, I've been slowly, little by little, discussing racism, but there was a time where I didn't talk about racism at all, because I would literally lose friends over it as well. Because remember how I told you about those friend groups? Mm-hmm. Those friends groups got smaller and smaller because if something racist happened, and they were right there, and I got upset about it. They would say, Elisheva, you're so negative, you're so depressing, why are you always talking about this? And sometimes people in our friend groups would do things that were racist to me. I would call it out, and me discussing racism made my friend group smaller. And every time I have to say that I would deal with a racist situation and I would have my Jewish friends standing right next to me, and they would not get involved, and they would say something like, oh, wow, that's crazy. I can't believe that guy said that to you. Or they would just stand to the side and just watch it happen. And I would say, why didn't you say anything? They were like, oh, well, you know, it's none of my business. It wasn't my place. It wasn't, you know, my mess, whatever, to get involved. You know, like, there's this concept in the community that it's not anyone's place to get involved in anyone else's business, even if they see it happening right in front of them. Like, they know that, I'm just going to throw out a name, they know that Avi is beating his wife Miriam. But they are not going to get involved because it's not their problem. It's not their business, you know? So it's like this concept that even if they see something happening, it's not their business. And that's another thing, too, that it's like a weird duality that happens in the Orthodox world. People know bad things are happening, but they don't want to get involved because they feel it's not their business. But it is their business because especially in the Orthodox community, Jews are supposed to watch each other. Jews are supposed to care for each other. If you know someone is being hurt... If you are witnessing it, it is your job as a proper Jew to get involved. And I don't understand why this concept just seems to elude the community all the time. I certainly agree with that, Elisheva. I want to ask you about something you mentioned a few minutes ago. You talked about how with everything going on, you had moments when you said, I should just go OTD or for our listeners off the derech, become not religious. What kept you from taking that step? I've taken the step multiple times. I've had multiple times in my life where I have been OTD because I could not deal anymore with it. Like, I couldn't go to a Shabbaton anymore because of whatever was going on. I couldn't deal with a certain friend circle anymore because of all the things that were going on. It's just like, I've had moments. I've had various OTD moments in my life where I have to withdraw from the community because it's the only way to stay sane is to withdraw from the community every now and then because even though you tell people what's happening, you're telling them how it hurts you, to tell them how that's bad. I spend most of my life hearing people say, that's you, stop complaining. Everyone has issues. Like someone was like, well, I, for example, this, this literally just happened to me about a year ago, talking to this guy here in LA, and I was describing a racist situation that happened to me here in LA, and how it should have never happened, and it was wrong. And his response was, well, I know what it's like to be discriminated against. These kids that were not Jewish would beat me up and call me Jew, you know? And I was like, yes, but the kids weren't Jewish. Mm -hmm. I am talking about a Jew doing this to another Jew. And then he said after that, well, he's always been nice to me. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for getting the point so clearly. 
Uh, there's just no connection. There's no connection made. And it's moments like that where I'm like, you know what? Clearly it's time for me to be OTD again because I'm about to lose my mind. What has the general response been to the article? Have you received positive feedback about it? Okay, let me say this in the best way I can. I have received an overwhelming positive response to the article on social media. So what do you mean by that? I mean, on social media, most people are like, wow, it's so amazing. It's so great. Da, 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 da. You know, and I'm like, wow, this could really change the world. You know, even though in the back of my mind, I know that just writing the article is just starting the convo. I know there's no changes that are going to really happen in my real life. And that's what's happening. There are no changes happening in my real life. My real life is exactly the same. Like I mentioned before, things that I wrote in my article happened to me last week, the week before, and will probably happen to me again this week. My life has not changed at all one bit in my real life. You gave me a podcast offer. That's the first time I got a podcast offer. You know, that's great. That's amazing. And someone else said that they wanted me to speak for, uh, uh, give a speech to a yeshiva or something via Skype, whatever. And that's it. But in real life, I am still treated exactly the same. It's just not great. It's like I see it. Like that's, This is where I learned that social media is social media. And real life is real life because my real life is the same and it's upsetting. It hurts, you know, because I kind of got my hopes up a little bit that my real life would get better, which was foolish on my end because I'm horribly optimistic. That's my biggest flaw. (laughs) 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 I'm like, I believe like, you know, peace, this butterflies, you know, pink clouds, whatever. It's like my biggest problem is that I'm horribly optimistic even when I shouldn't be and I really expected like a big huge you know welcoming hug to hear from random people but I see people and they see me I hear them mutter something about me in the article and they give me like dirty looks and I'm like ah nothing really changed nothing has changed in my real life no but on on social media it's awesome (laughs) it's it's it's, it's magical you know we're holding hands we're we're going to the promised land (laughs) Well, Alicia, you know life, as well as I do that nowadays social media is more real than real life. Yes, I literally, it's sad. I find more of a community in the Jewish world online than I do in real life. And that, unfortunately, that's very common for a lot of black Jews that I know. Because a lot of us withdrew. And we find more unity and love online for being who we are than we do in real life. It's crazy. That like, is crazy. Especially... Especially when I'm wearing my brand. That's another thing, too. Unfortunately, because I created it for positivity, empowerment, and all that stuff. Well, explain to our listeners what your brand is. Oh, um, my brand, LA7Designs, I would call it a cultural brand because it celebrates all the parts of myself that I've been taught and told and actually believed for most of my life was bad. That me being black was bad. That me being dark skin was bad. Me being a woman meant that I had to take second place. Uh, that me being orthodox meant that I had to like shut up. This brand celebrates all the parts of me and everyone that shares parts of that. There's like a woman collection. There's a hashtag Jewish vibe collection. That's like a collection of phrases from the Jewish world that I love. Like I'm Tova. Sayings that I love that really express Jewishness in an amazing way. And there's also like a, there's a, a section for people that are black. There's a section for people that are a combination of all of them. And its main focus is to make people love 
their identity, to express their identity with pride, and to not be ashamed of it. Because, you know, too often in this world, we are told to be ashamed of who we are. And <laughs> that's why I, I created it. And I have to be honest, when I created the brand, when I actually went through with the production and everything, I was in the darkest, darkest place of my life. Mm-hmm. I was dealing with a community that I was reaching out to that was not helping me. I was dealing with a very, very bad, bad relationship that finally ended. I was not in a good place. I was very depressed, very sad, and there were very bad things happening around me. And it was so dark. And it was just in this moment where I just couldn't breathe anymore. Like, I literally couldn't breathe. And I was like, I have to make this stop. I Like, it was so painful. Like, I was surrounded by so much pain. And I'm like, I have to make something good or beautiful come out of this pain. And that was just a moment where I was just like, okay, I have to do this brand and I have to do it now. That's just when everything started flowing easier for me. And that's just when I started. Because the only way, honestly, to respond to so much pain and darkness is beauty and light and love and that's what my brand is about a lot of people wouldn't say that that's unbelievable that you did that you know i'm speaking now to you and i realize that talk is cheap and my words don't mean very much as you presented in your article awareness it's it's only the beginning as you're saying now the article obviously gave awareness to a certain problem but it doesn't necessarily or hasn't translated into real life can you offer some literal concrete steps that you would recommend that people do in moving forward. In other words, Elisheva, if you could tell people, this is what I want people to do, not on social media, but in real life, this is what I want to change. Can you give specific concrete steps? Okay, so for starters, February was just Black History Month in America. And I want to clarify that my article is about American Jews. Like I'm not talking about anyone else. Do you know how many yeshiva are doing anything for Black History Month? I would guess zero. Yeah, like maybe two that I can think of, but it's not a part of the culture. Whether it's in a shul or it's in a, in a yeshiva or in an after-school program, we have to start discussing, talking about black Jewish people. We have to start making mandates where it is not acceptable to use the words kushi, schwarza, regularly in daily dialect. We have to start listening to black Jewish people when they speak because it's always like brushed under the rug. Like there has to be actual things that are happening. And I want to start it there because I did have a friend. She doesn't deal with the Orthodox community anymore, but she and her family, we grew up together when we were in Crown Heights and she tried to, she made this program where she could come to the school to explain the beauty of someone being black and what not to say and how to proceed with it. And none of the Orthodox Yeshiva that she petitioned wanted her program they didn't want it they weren't interested they didn't they didn't want to change it they didn't like it's like the conservative and reform world was more open to her ideology so she started dealing with them but that's what i mean like this isn't the first time that anyone in the community has tried to change things like she actually had an actual company that made workshops and they refused her petition like it's not like we're not trying because we've been trying it's just that no one's open to it. And Did they explain why? Honestly, because they wanted to keep everything exactly the same. It's the Orthodox culture. They don't want to change anything. They like it the way that they is. They don't see racism as a problem. 
So they like it like that and they want to keep it like that. And that's why it is the way that it is. But like if, if my friend had succeeded in what she was doing and she was doing this 10 years ago, by the way, if she had been accepted and they could have taken her workshop and put it in the yeshiva, we would be in a totally different space right now, but they didn't want it. So that's why we are where we are. I know so many black Jewish activists that do workshops that go around and they do speeches there's no wanting of it in the Orthodox world. And they oftentimes end up, you know, getting shipped off to the conservative and reform world because they're more open to listening to us and to implementing the changes that we mentioned to practicing things. There's like, that's the thing. It's not about what can be done. It's about, are they willing to hear us yet? And that's why I have a mad love for Nishim for even printing that article. Because do you know how many years... I have tried to reach out to Orthodox publications and they will refuse to write or publish anything that I had to say on this issue. Like, I, I was shocked when I spoke to them. They're like, yeah, we've been getting lots of requests to, to talk about this and we want to talk about it, so can you send us something? I was shocked. Like, this is the first step of where the Orthodox world needs to go. The willingness to want to talk about it because if they are willing, we are already here. When I was growing up, for all intents and purposes, in my community, Black History Month, as I recall, just didn't exist. It wasn't an openly racist attempt to ignore it. People just didn't think about it. It wasn't active. It was more passive. Um, yeah, it, that's true. It was more passive for me as well. It was something that, you know, people just didn't feel like they needed to address. And there was a time where I was uh, working with this Jewish org and Black History Month was upon us, and I was suggesting a couple of Black Jewish activists that could come and speak, or just speakers, you know, to just come and speak for, like, Black History Month. And I was like, let's do that. And they were like, no, for the Israeli Independence Day event, we're flying in some Ethiopian Jew, we'll just do that instead. And I was just like, wait, hold on a second. So, one, you think that we already have a Black person coming in the future, so that's good enough for us. Two... Black History Month is about black Americans, and you would rather listen to an Israeli black Jew than you would listen to a black American Jew. And it's now, a completely different experience. They have nothing to do with each other, frankly. Exactly. And that's a big problem that I also see in the American Jewish community. I'm talking from an Orthodox you know, perspective, but I see it as well in the conservative reform circles. American Jews tend to love Israeli black Jews that are all the way over there and they tend to mistreat the black American Jews that are right here in their face. Like it's really odd that they would value someone who's Israeli over someone that's American. And there have been situations where I'm dealing with racism and they will say, well, this uh, Ethiopian girl never mentioned anything about this and this and that. And I'm like, she's from a different culture. She doesn't even know what it means when you're asking, you know, certain questions in a certain way, because Israeli types of racism are nothing at all like American racism. And she didn't grow up in the Orthodox world. She wasn't even Orthodox. Like, it's like she, she didn't grow up in the Orthodox world in America. She doesn't even know what it means to be racist in America. She just got off the plane like a year ago. Like, why are you using her as an example for something that was done to me? And they would oftentimes, they've done this with my Ethiopian Israeli friends. 
they would do something racist. And if I'm with an Israeli friend that's Ethiopian, they would say, so was that racist? And then she'll be like, I, I, I don't know, because how would she know? But it's like, it's she has no context to, to understand us, it. Exactly. There's no context. The context is not there, but they would try to use them to justify their racist behavior. And it's like, why are you asking someone who's not from this country to defend something racist that you did to someone who is from this country? It's a very uncomfortable situation for both me and my Israeli Ethiopian friends. We're put side by side. Like they've done things where they even said, well, she's more Jewish than you. And my friend will be like, huh? But like, and she's this girl's like, oftentimes they're not even Orthodox or even keep kosher or anything, but they're like, well, she's more Jewish than you. And I think that too often I can just imagine in my own mind, like, oh, I've probably heard when people would say, oh, Orthodox Jews are racist, and they might say, what do you mean? Look at all the Ethiopian Jews in Israel who are accepted into Yeshivot, yes! which miss, completely misses <laughs> what you're saying. It's completely beside the point of what you're trying to get at. <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> yes, you literally hit the needle like on the head. Whatever it is, like they do that all the time. They're like, no, the Jewish people is so like, or they'll be like, the Jewish people are so beautiful. Look at all the Ethiopian Jews we have in Israel, you know? And then I'm standing right in front of them. They're like, what are you? Who are you? You're Jewish? Prove it. Prove it. Oh, gosh. I would never forget a horrible situation. I don't know. This might be a little bit too much, but it was a friend group that I, I decided I wasn't going to be friends with anymore because of this one situation, so I figured out ways to not be friends with them. It took me a year to ditch them all, okay. but I didn't like them anymore after this. Um, there was a Shabbaton, and I was helping them get it done, and I was helping sign up people for it, and when I came to the Shabbaton, the janitor of the shul refused to let me in. He was insane. <laughs> So horrible. He was insisting that I show him a copy of my parents' ketubah to prove that I'm Jewish. The janitor of the shul insisted that the you janitor. show your parents' ketubah to get into the shul. <laughs> he was refusing to believe that I was Jewish. And he was like this scraggly, nothing, whatever guy. He had nothing to do with it. I was friends with the people on the board and it was helping them. And while this whole situation was happening, do you know people that I helped sign up for the Shabbaton were seeing it and walking right by? They ignored it as it was happening, ignored even though they knew it was happening. Even though they knew it was happening, and something happened, like someone was coming for baby, and there was a distraction, so I was able to sneak in past him. I w he kept me outside for a half an hour. I went downstairs to my friend group, and I was like, do you know what just happened to me? This guy kept me outside for 30 minutes, and man, they proved to see, like, uh, I show proof that I'm a convert, or I show my parents' ketubah that proved that I'm Jewish. And they were like, oh, Eli Shaba, he's stupid, just forget about him. And they were like, yeah, he's stupid, and they walked away. And I was like, oh my gosh, I stood in the middle of the room, of the hall, where the Shabbaton was happening for a couple of minutes, and I didn't say a word to anyone, and I just turned around and I left. I went out through the back way so I wouldn't have to deal with him again. Like, I left the Shabbaton before it even began, because that was the reaction I got. Wow. <laughs> He's just stupid. Nobody went upstairs. No one said anything to him. No one did anything. They thought it was fine. And that he was stupid and I need to get over it. Because they always said that to me, like, get over it, okay? You know, because you've got to run the event. You're going to the party. Oh, we're out. Don't mention what that guy just did that was racist, you know? Like, every time we would go out anywhere, you know, don't mention it, you know? Like, you got to ruin the whole vibe. Don't, don't kill our vibe. I don't know how you've been able to continue with all this going on. I want to read something you wrote at the very conclusion of your article. You wrote, 
I hope that I have brought some awareness to the community by writing this article. I would like to ask the members of the Orthodox Jewish world to be more mindful of other Jews and what they teach their children, and to listen to black Jewish people and believe black Jewish people when we tell you that we are dealing with situations of discrimination. We can't fight these battles on our own. We can only work on this together as a community. And this interview, Elisheva, has been totally depressing for me. I'm sorry. But I'm only sorry. The, I'm sorry. No, it's oh. de- but depressing. Hey, hopefully, make- hopefully, I hope for our listeners in a way that will spur them to some sort of action because we are the Jewish community. We are a family. And as you said, there's nothing more painful than people who are part of your own tribe treat you like you're not really part of us. And the fact that you're willing to talk about it with me and in this article and in general, Elisheva, demonstrates a real form of bravery that I find very, very impressive. So thank you so much for being so open and being willing to talk about these issues. I really hope that everyone listening will think about how they treat people in our community, people outside of our community. I hope that people listening will take racism seriously and realize that people like Elisheva who are fighting against this are true heroes in our community. So Elisheva, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to The Orthodox Conundrum on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast provider. If you like this podcast, please help us out by sharing it on Facebook and Twitter. Please visit jewishcoffeehouse.com, which has been recently revamped for lots of great podcasts, including The Orthodox Conundrum, Intimate Judaism, The Francisca Show, Chochmat Nashim, The Maimonides Minute, and more. When you're there, make sure to sign up on our new Patreon page, where for as little as $2 a month, you can gain access to premium content like Ask the Rabbis, get excellent merchandise, and more. I'm Scott Kahn. This is The Orthodox Conundrum on jewishcoffeehouse.com. <laughs>